0: One of the books I read often as a child was A Light in the Attic by Shel Silverstein. uh, Best known as the author and illustrator of the children's book The Giving Tree, Silverstein had a habit of writing whimsical and touching poems. The one that always struck with me was called What Ifs, all one word. The what-ifs are little creatures that crawl inside your ear at night and dance and sing things like, what if the fish don't bite? What if the wind tears up my kite? Or more serious things like, what if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? It's a very charming and entertaining way to address something that can be very serious. I'd imagine the what-ifs have gotten to each and every one of us at some point. The what-ifs have a tendency to get to me before and after I make big life decisions, but I can always rely on them showing up after I get a new pet. During the first few weeks of ownership for my cats, and for a few months after I got my chinchilla, I was stricken with doubt if I had made the right choice to get a pet. What if I couldn't care for them correctly and I was completely unqualified for this? What if they didn't get along with the animals I already had? What if they didn't love me and we couldn't build a good relationship? I was convinced I didn't think any of my choices through, even though I assure you that I had, and that I had made the incorrect choice, and I should be sitting in my home without any pets. I spent many evenings, often with the animal I was worrying about next to me, wallowing in my doubt. And maybe you've felt doubt like this before. Maybe you've taken a new job, you've had a big move. Maybe this is what it's like when your kids are born. The vastness of these big life choices can cause doubt and uncertainty to creep into our lives, making us unsure of what or who we can trust. Thankfully, the doubt I had has not affected any of the relationships I have now with my critters. I got through my doubts, and I am incredibly thankful for the menagerie I have assembled. They have been one of my primary support systems as I've gone on my seminary journey, and I cannot imagine life without some sort of animal on the journey with me. I have a suspicion that Thomas was feeling a lot of what-ifs in the scripture for this morning. Thomas is often designated by his doubting, which I have to admit I think is a little unfair because you can't tell me the other disciples weren't doubting, too. They are hiding, because they're afraid of being killed like Jesus was. Before Jesus' appearance, Mary Magdalene is the only one who has seen him, and Peter and the other disciples just saw an empty tomb. Back in John 14, Thomas is the one who asked Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Which makes me feel like Thomas is curious. And in John 11, before Jesus raised Lazarus, the disciples are nervous to go back to Judea because the last time they were there, they were threatened and almost stoned to death. Jesus heads back to Judea anyway to see his friends... And Thomas is the one who says, let's go, that we may die with him. So Thomas is devoted. But I wonder why Thomas wasn't in the room with everyone else. I think Thomas came to believe so deeply and so passionately that he was out looking for Jesus, looking for proof. What if someone stole Jesus away? What if he's lost forever? And what if what Mary says is true? And so he's skeptical when the other disciples say Jesus appeared in their locked room. Thomas, who loves Jesus so deeply, doesn't believe it because he watched Jesus die. There goes his beloved teacher, his guide, The man Thomas changed his entire life to be with. The what ifs have taken over. But here's the thing doubting is a completely normal, completely forgivable part of faith. Jesus appears and says, Stick your fingers in my hands and my side. And he does say, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. But he doesn't kick Thomas to the curb and say, too bad, so sad. You doubted. Jesus appears a second time, and it seems like it's pretty much solely for Thomas. Jesus comes back for Thomas to bring him peace. Jesus maintains and cares for the friendship he has with Thomas, and the doubt does not stand in the way of that relationship. Doubt is forgivable And it is normal. Your doubt and fear do not make you any less a beloved child of God. Jesus actively works to ease that doubt and fear. Jesus meets you where you are and wants to bring you peace. Jesus wants to quiet the what-ifs that might be dancing around your head. Jesus greets the disciples with peace be with you three times in our scripture. Jesus wants to share peace. And the peace that Jesus inspires isn't all internal. Jesus' death on a cross was a gruesome and violent act. He was mocked and wounded. But Jesus' reaction to this wasn't to fight back with all the powers of heaven, Many of the people around him expected him to do that, to use the power of God and get down from the cross and claim victory forever through strength and battles. But he didn't. He quietly and humbly accepted his death. Adding more violence to the turmoil of the world wasn't the answer. And with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we learn that love and life win. They win over death and sin. The victory is for the future, when each of us will pass away and be joined with Christ in eternal life, and it is a victory that is happening here and now. Like Jesus, you are called to make choices that bring peace into the world. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that the world needs peace and love right now. And you have the opportunity to help show that peace and love. How you do that is up to you, related to the gifts God has given you you can use your gifts to show the world that God's love is the best love. It is the most love. It is a love that defeats death and darkness and a love that brings new life. To say that love and life win means that no amount of bad things, no amount of hopelessness or doubt, No amount of sin will ever overcome the love of God shown through Christ Jesus. You are given a new life in Christ Jesus, one that can never be taken away from you, even when the world around you seems to crumble, even when you feel like you can't make any of the right choices, even when the what-ifs come and dance in your head and tell you all the terrible things that can happen. Christ and the Holy Spirit and God are there to give you peace. This peace is for you. Regardless of whether you think you deserve it, regardless of whether you doubt, this peace is for you. Jesus is there holding his hand out to you, allowing you to poke him in the side if that's what you need. And so we live in peace through Jesus Christ in two ways. We have personal internal peace through our own individual relationships with Christ, and we, as disciples of Christ, look to Jesus for how to live our lives showing love, justice, and peace. Both forms of peace encourage and help each other. When you're more at peace internally, you're more likely to create peace in the world. And when there are more peaceful moments in the world, it's easier to focus on and find that inner stability. Peace is also not something any one of us has to do alone. Much like Jesus reaching out to Thomas, much like how we share peace every morning with each other, We are able to repair and sustain our relationships together. We are able to help reassure and bring others peace. And sometimes that might mean looking past some doubts and allowing relationships to grow regardless. Jesus wants to share peace with you, a peace that exists internally and can be acted upon externally And if and when the doubts and what ifs come to play, Jesus is there to give you peace and help ease those doubts. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.